Travolting presents The Fraser's Edge. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering extraordinary measures. Enjoy the episode. I didn't kill my enzyme! <laughs> there was an enzyme in my house. A, uh, a, a, uh, an equine enzyme. <laughs> I, I study this enzyme. <laughs> I study this enzyme. You find it. You find it. You supplement this enzyme. Devlin McGregor wanted to sell you Provasic. You switch the samples. <laughs> he does switch the samples. He does switch in this the movie. samples a lot of times. Yeah, Harrison. Although he he steals the samples. Harrison, Harrison, buddy, <laughs> you raved against switching the samples, <laughs> and now you just go and pull this shit on us. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, to this episode on extraordinary measures. We took some extraordinary An measures. Extraordinary episode. Yeah, very extraordinary episode. Yeah. Um. I guess Jeff. Yeah, I've actually seen this movie before. You have? Yes, a, I have not. A long time ago. This was, this was a classic Elmore family movie, akin mm. to like Ladder Forty Nine and yeah. shit. The heartwarming family film. Yeah, that's all about like persevering, the yeah. uh, the unlikely underdog hero that rises to the top and is able to do the right thing for the right reason. This movie has a big difference from Ladder Forty Nine. Yes. No one gets barbecued alive by a steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Oh, you fucking a- idiot. Kentucky, I think you're going to say. Kentucky fi- fried firefighter. <sighs> you yeah. shitter. I hate. God damn it. I'm trying to. I love you. Ah, No. You know what the big difference in this movie with Ladder 49 is? What? The good guys in Ladder 49 is like, you know, just an esteemed fire crew. Whereas the good guys in Extraordinary Measures is big pharma. <laughs> yes. And boy, are we going to talk about that. <laughs> I kind of think that's interesting, and there's a very interesting approach to this movie that this movie does not take. <laughs> yes, and we'll get into yeah. that. Because uh, the, the the idea of a movie about like the harsh realities of getting a drug made um, yeah. is kind of interesting fertile ground. You know, where it's like, Yes, it's all these multinational corporations and huge amounts of money and egos and competition, but it produces life-saving drugs. Well, is an interesting movie. Well, you know what movie this movie doesn't do any of that. <laughs> well, and what this movie also doesn't touch on is the capitalistic nature of making yeah. life-saving drugs. Yeah. That in order to make a life-saving drug, you want to make a drug that's going to be profitable. Yes. So if you have a disease that can be cured with one pill, the fuck are you going to make that pill for when we can sell you pills you got to take one week, yeah. every week for the rest of your life, and each pill costs $1,000? Yeah. That's 52 pills over a year, 52 grand for one customer of mm-hmm. that one pill. Yeah. But we can do it because it's an orphan drug. Yes. And because the only people who are going to buy this are like the 200 out of the 300 million Americans that are afflicted with this drug. Yeah. I have so much to say about... Sarah, can we just say, in a just society, drug development would just be, like, sponsored by the government. And they would just, like... In a sponsored society, we would allow FDA testing of international drugs, which was a policy promoted by the 2016 candidate Bernie Sanders. Yes. Which everybody thought was batshit crazy, because I don't want to take the experimental drugs from Canada. (laughs) 
fuck them. <laughs> we have the best scientists here. Even though, like, people all over the world are making life-saving medicine. Yeah. It's very cool and good that we live in. There will never be... Right, so you're just not going to finish this thought. Um, I also real quick want to say that this movie was kind of distracting to watch and look up because when we were, we were recording this episode on May um, 17th, right? It's the 17th? Uh, yeah. Uh, 14 days out from the U.S.'s potential default, yes. um, which you folks will know how it got resolved by the time this episode comes out. Yes. Um, but right now the Treasury is using extraordinary measures to keep the government operational. Yes. And so anytime I Google extraordinary measures <laughs> to try and find this movie, <laughs> I keep getting Jeanette Yellen. <laughs> extraordinary measures will exhaust June 1st. And I'm like, don't want to delete in the movie or something? <laughs> By the U.S. Treasury. Yeah. Uh, so it's been hard to, to like look up shit about this movie because of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it has. Uh, and I, we, you know, there, thank you. I should say like we, there is some Brendan Fraser context and there probably is some Harrison Ford context to talk about, oh, I got a lot of Harrison Ford context. but just a real quick, cause I don't really think we can talk. We need to say too much about Brendan Fraser. Cause yeah. last week we just talked yeah, about just a recap episode. A recap. So you guys know that like, this is sort of, and I think I even mentioned in this recap episode, this is sort of the third two hander movie where Brendan Fraser is acting alongside a bigger name actor in a family drama. Is this a drama, Jeff? Yeah. It's like a family business political drama, but n more on the family side. So, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, so quickly, I'll talk about Brendan and Harrison, and then I want to talk about what this movie is. Yeah. Um. But you, you catch up with us Bre uh, last week with Brendan. This is the beginning of what we're calling the Hollywood Exile era. Yeah. And the reason we're starting with this movie is this is, like, it. Yeah. Like, this is already a movie that doesn't, like... It's an attempt at, like, a dramatic comeback for both Brendan Fraser and Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, and its failure is what just fully sends Brendan out of the, the running. And it's no accident that the last time Brendan Fraser did a movie akin to this hypo two-hander style is in 2002 with Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. And before that, 1998 with Ian McKellen. Yes. You can see the trajectory that our boy is taking. You can technically count last time with Michael Keaton if you want yeah. to. But that movie doesn't. That no-name yeah. movie that doesn't really exist. Yeah, and this movie also does not fully exist. Well, I would say this movie exists more than... Yeah, it exists much more than the last time. Yeah. but This movie is, I think, free on Paramount, I think. Paramount Plus. It is. And this is also a monstrous flop. It is a monstrous flop. Um, but I think you maybe alluded to this, Jeff, and I think part of the reason of that is, I don't know what kind of fucking movie this is. Yeah. It's... The Rotten Tomatoes description of this describes it as a made-for-TV tearjerker. Yes. And that's very much the vibe you get from this movie. It, yeah. It, it just feels like your standard issue, like something you'd catch on NBC. Yeah. Which is funny because this movie is made by CBS Films. Yeah. Um, if The the counterpoint for this movie, Stuart, have you ever seen Lorenzo's Oil? Nope. Okay. 
Lorenzo's Oil is the masterpiece version of this movie. I love Lorenzo's Oil. 92. Lorenzo's Oil, directed by George Miller, who at this point is just coming off of three Mad Max movies. Okay. And The Witches of Eastwick, a movie about a horny Jack Nicholson playing Satan. Um, And then he makes this, Lorenzo's Oil, um, which is a movie about... It's actually basically the exact same movie as this. Is it also about... Um, it is like very similar. Yeah, it's a very it's literally just just to read the audience the synopsis. Lorenzo O'Don, a Virginia five year old, develops a de- degenerative nerve disease so rare that nobody is working on a cure. So his parents decide to immerse themselves in research and tackle the problem. So this is like it is the exact same movie. But the thing is, Jeff, it came out in ninety two, which I think is before John Crowley yeah. and Genzyme actually found the cure. Yes. So this is about. A different thing? It's about a different disease. Um, but they do find essentially the cure for it. Um, ALD. Yeah, it's ALD. Which is a real thing. Yes, it's yeah. based on a true story. Um, um, Lorenzo's Oil got a lot of criticism um, for how much it, um, you know, um, prom- like is anti-like doctor organizations and whatnot and bureaucracy. Okay. Okay. Um, and whatnot. <clears throat> However, the movie is a masterpiece. I love Lorenzo's Oil. I mean, I should check it out. You should watch Lorenzo's Oil. Yeah. Um, because where is in this movie, like when Brendan Fraser's upset once in the scene where he cries and he like walks out, closes a door and sits on a staircase and cries. And it's just like done in a wide shot. In Lorenzo's Oil, Nick Nolte, who's doing an insane Italian accent in that movie, yeah, um, gets really upset about his son's condition, and he walks to the top of the stairs, and he's holding all these research documents, and he goes, ah, and then he falls down the stairs and rolls down, and the documents are flying in the sky, and there's all this like random cross-cutting of documentation and whatnot, and then he's laying at the bottom of the stairs in the position of a Greek portrait, <laughs> like a Greek artwork. The fuck? As the camera pulls up, and he's like, ah, ah! Okay. It's such an in, it's such like an insane version of this movie. When did you watch this movie? I watched it last year. I watched all of George Miller's movies. Okay. Do you know what he follows this? So let me run down the George Miller career real quick. <laughs> we still have to do the Harrison Ford yeah. context. Here's George Miller's filmography. Yeah. Mad Max. Yeah. Mad Max 2. Yeah. Mad Max 3. Yeah. With the Witches of Eastwick. Okay. And we bet Horny Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Lorenzo's Oil. Yeah. Babe Pig in the City. Oh my god. Happy Feet. Oh Happy my Happy Feet 2. <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> that is his career. This man. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to quickly say that. Um but yeah, you should watch Lorenzo's Oil. Um to any audience members who are curious about watching this movie, don't just watch Lorenzo's Oil. This comes after a 5-year gap in between the Witches of Eastwick. Yeah, he starts trying to make something else and doesn't. I can't remember why. What it, what it was that he almost made. Anyway, so Extraordinary Measures. Um, this is a movie about a miracle cure. Um, and it's interesting. Brendan gets top billing on this movie. He it does. is Brendan Fraser, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Which I think says less about Brendan <laughs> than it does about where Harrison's at in his career. Yeah. Because to, to be perfectly sure, Harrison Ford is my favorite actor. I know. He's my favorite guy. Yeah. I'm letting yeah. the audience know. 
He's, he's wearing. Like, he's wearing a Harrison. I'm Ford wearing a Harrison Frankenstein. Ford shirt. Um, I'm not sure right now. It's a shirt of Harrison Ford as Frankenstein. Favorite uh, uh, Harrison Ford movie. American Graffiti. Oh. It's not a Harrison Ford movie, but he's in it. Oh, uh, they're gonna say uh, the Fugitive. No, if we're talk like my favorite movie with Harrison Ford in it is American Graffiti. My favorite Harrison Ford starring movie is The Empire Strikes Back. My favorite Harrison Ford movie, maybe The Fugitive. Um, or the uh, Mosquito Coast. Uh, it's actually The Mosquito Coast. You're right. Um, a movie I haven't seen, but I've heard lots about. You should about. watch The Mosquito Coast. Not just from you, but from other people. You should go home and I'm... watch The Mosquito Coast and Lorenzo's Oil. That would be a bizarre double feature. I'm just looking up uh, trivia, IMDb, and extraordinary measures. Side note, obviously not always accurate, but first thing I just pulled yes. up. I know what you're about to say. The first film since Return of the Jedi where Harrison Ford has not had his name first yes. in the credits. Wow. Yeah. So Harrison Ford, um, he gets, obviously he gets to start in a little movie called Star Wars. Yeah. He's in American Graffiti and the first, a few other movies prior to that. And then he basically has a miracle run for like 20 years. Yeah. Because Star Wars in 97, he's small parts in like Apocalypse Now and American Graffiti 2 and all this stuff. Finishes up Star Wars, does in, starts Indiana Jones in 81. Blade Runner, The Year Following, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom. Gets his Oscar nomination in 85 for Witness with Peter Weir. Immediately jumps into another collaboration with Peter Weir. He misses the Academy Awards ceremony that year because he's filming The Mosquito Coast, which is his best performance. Um, but Mosquito Coast, big flop. Kind of scares him away from taking like interesting material for a little bit. Hmm. Not like in a way that he's like. Is it a good performance in a good movie or just like a. It's a great performance in a great movie. Okay. I love the Mosquito Coast. I'll watch it. It is really intense <laughs> for him. <laughs> he's crazy in it. Um, but even with the flop of the Mosquito Coast, he just is like, all right, well, I'll just do movies with big people in. Yeah. And he does Brian De Palma Frantic, Working Girl, Indiana Jones 3, Presumed Innocent, Regarding Henry. He does two Jack Ryan movies, Patriot Games, Clear Present Danger, The Fugitive. This is like an all-star run. Yeah. He's coming. He is like the number one star in Hollywood at this time. Um, And this miracle run continues until 97. And a pretty, if I remember correctly, a pretty late start too, right? Yeah, he was in his, I think he's 33 when they make Star Wars. Yeah. So he's like decent. So by the time, and that was 77, so by the time he's in like the early to mid 90s when he's doing all these movies, yeah. he's, he's, he's in, in his in 50s. Yeah. Late 40s, early 50s. Late 40s, early 50s. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, his miracle run ends with Air Force One. Air Force One is like a huge success. And then he never. I fucking love Air Force One. I love Air Force One too. Yeah. Um, what but happened? it's like, he basically doesn't, he has like maybe two flops in that time period. Um, and it's. And then Sabrina's a big flop two years before Air Force One. Air Force One, big success. And then it's like Six Days, Seven Nights, Random Hearts, What Lies Beneath, which is a good movie, but no one liked it. That's the one where he turns out to be the killer, right? Yeah, spoiler alert for What Lies Beneath, but not that anyone cares. No, I, I actually have seen that movie. Yeah. I that, don't know what context brought me to look and yeah. see that movie, but I remember being pretty good. I love What Lies Beneath. What Lies Beneath is shot like an old Hitchcock movie. So it's all these really weird shots. That's right, it, it is. There's a ghost in it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, It's still a flop. Uh, K-19, The Widowmaker. Another movie that I and I alone like. Okay. Where he's doing a Russian accent. Um, yeah. And then, like, they're all flops. It's not. He's not, like, doing much yeah um attempted comeback with hollywood homicide flop <laughs> then it's you know he takes three years off and they're like, 
the big Harrison Ford, the Harrison Ford reintroduction movie, Firewall. Comes out, no one likes it. <laughs> he takes another two years off. We'll do Indiana Jones 4. People will like that. And it makes a lot of money. But a lot of people don't like it. I like that movie. You'll notice a lot of these movies are like, I like that movie. I think he's great in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in a pretty good movie. Um, but then, you know, none of his, like, you know, attempts have really succeeded. And Indiana Jones was a kind of a laughing stock, um, as, even if it was incredibly successful. And so he kind of is just on the out and out. He's a little washed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that only lasts for about four years. But <laughs> because it's crossing over, Extraordinary Measures, Morning Glory... Um, which is kind of a success. But then he's just doing shit like Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah, this is when he goes into his little bizarre realm. Yeah, because he's he, when we're in a, when we're checking in with him in Extraordinary Measure, he's kind of in like take the paycheck and I'll do it territory. Like I'm not finding success in my old movies. All my other movies just aren't doing well. I'll just do your fucking movie. Yeah. And it's the most prolific part of his career because of this. Cuz he was somewhat choosy prior to that. Yeah. Like, he'd do, like, a movie a year. Well, he's pretty good in 42, right? Yeah, 42, he almost gets an Oscar nomination for. Um, that's kind of, like, the the lucky pass in the middle of this. But then it's Paranoia. But it's, like, Cowboys and Aliens. And paranoia. He Anchorman's was always very Anchorman. hesitant to do, like, sci-fi movies and, like, movies that kind of make fun of his, like, persona. Yeah. Because he knew it hurt him. But then, right around this time, he does Cowboys and Aliens, Ender's Game, The Expendables 3. Yeah. And as well as a scene in Anchorman 2, which he's good in, um, but it's like he just makes fun of like, killing people in Okinawa. Yeah. Age and of Adeline? Age of Adeline. People like that movie. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. And then but it's... Then he, uh... Two things happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> two things happened to him. <laughs> he gets a lot of money to come back to Star Wars. A lot of money. And he fucking crashes his plane into a golf course, almost dies, has his head sliced in half. Fuck. And you know what happens? I mean, it's a fucking new lease on life. Watch an interview with Harrison Ford from 2014 and then one from 2016. And watch how different the tone is. It's insane. Like, how so? Describe it. In 2014, she's like, yeah, I'm in this movie. Um, I had a good time filming it. Some good guys on that crew. You watch him in 2016. He literally walks onto, I think, Jimmy Kimmel in a hot dog costume in 2016. Like a full hot dog suit with like a fake dog nose on. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm making the movie. (laughs) It's crazy. Like, wow. I know he was really praiseworthy of J.J. Abrams, that he really enjoyed working with him, which a lot of actors say he's like the best with working with actors. Yeah. And, like, he kind of felt reinvigorated by Star Wars, oddly enough. And then he, like, almost dies and realizes he must just, like, he's like, all right, I should have died there. This is all, like, extra time. I'm just going to fucking do it. Yeah. Because then the run is, like, some, he's great in Blade Runner 2049. He's fan- fucking phenomenal in Blade He does Runner. a line in Secret Life of Pets 2, um, which I've never seen. He has one scene in Rise of Skywalker, which he's good in. Yeah. Um, it's maybe the best performance in that movie. <laughs> Honestly, that may be the best scene in that <laughs> entire may, movie. It's maybe the, it's What's a of, better scene? 
It's that scene and General Hux are the two things in Rise of Skywalker <laughs> that escape with some I'm component. the spy. <laughs> that's so funny. I think that's <laughs> so good. Yeah. In 2020, he does The Call of the Wild, which um, he's actually really good in. I've heard that's the movie where he's actually tripping on acid, and that's where the Star Wars movies comes from. <laughs> it's actually just him in, in Call wild. of the Wild with his dog. In, in Call of the Wild could have been such a paycheck movie for him, but he really like kind of puts his soul into it. Yeah. Um, and then all after Call of the Wild, he does two TV shows. He's never done that before. He That's does 1923 right. and Shrinking. But I heard he's really good in 1923. Yeah, I've, I I've not heard anything about Shrinking. I hear great things about Shrinking. Is that Another, with uh, Jason? Um, God, what's the name? He did the Muppet movie. <laughs> Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. Wow, yeah. Jason Siegel. Haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, because he was putting this show together. It's like him and the guy who did um, fucking Scrubs and Ted Lasso. Uh, Bill Lawrence. Oh. Uh, do Shrinking together. But then, like, it's oddly the day this episode's coming out, Stuart. Um, okay, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie, a new streaming movie about a therapist in a wonky situation trying something new. Yeah. Do you realize the new streaming TV shows that are about therapy therapist there's so many like i They're just all coming out of the 2020 therapy rush i just yeah i i just finished uh the patient with steve carell and uh uh well it's the same guy who plays general hux donald gleason general hux oh uh, yeah donald gleason donald gleason yeah he's yeah. in one yeah i watched the patient uh there's shrinking the <laughs> shrinking uh, there's another one too that I also watch. I mean, you has a lot of yeah. therapy scenes. There's another one in particular that I watched that's very therapy esque. Yeah. Fuck. There what? were a few episodes of the new season of Chicago PD that had a lot of therapy involved in them. Do you watch Chicago PD, Jeff? Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. There's been a lot of therapy shows yeah, the, coming out. It's all coming out of the post 2020 like therapy rush. Well, it was the 2020 therapy. Well, because everyone was trapped in home in 2020. Everyone got really depressed. I, there was so much talk about therapy oh. in 2020. Because like, I didn't put two and two together on that yeah. one. <laughs> and so much of this just kind of comes out of that. Like that so many people who've never approached therapy before. I'm just going to say. Are now aware of it. I was one of the few who has seen a therapist before 2020. <laughs> you were special. Little pat on my back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've, but, I've always but, wanted to like to go see a therapist. Yeah, I've always wanted to like see. A therapist. Have you ever gone to therapy? No, you should. I well, always thought it'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, not some fun. people. I mean, don't maybe I shouldn't say it should think be fun. Of therapy as fun, yeah. but but no, I uh, Stewart's little therapy corner. Yeah. Why do people go to the gym when they're already physically fit? To stay fit. Yeah. You go to the if, therapist if you if you know if your excuse to not seeing a therapist is. I'm yeah. not crazy. That I'm was fine. really good. Give me a high five for that I'm one. I'm fine. Like, I'm totally fine. Well, yeah, but you want to stay, like, physically fit and reinforce mm -hmm. your mental, emotional muscles so when something does hit, you have coping skills that are yeah. not toxic. Like me drinking two Red Bulls and vaping. End <laughs> 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 um, uh, <Head> to that. <laughs> yeah. Quickly, the day this, this episode's coming out June 29th, if you're listening then, uh, welcome. Um, you know what also happens June 29th? Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny comes out. Oh, my God. So this episode's coming out the... Ideally, you're listening to this on your way to the theater to see Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> I know you are. I know I sure I am. I know you are. <laughs> 
Um, and then after that, he has two follow-up movies, um, Captain America, New World Order, and Thunderbolts. Which are the same role. Yes, the same role as the president. Thunderbolt Ross. Thunderbolt Ross. Taking over from Bill Hurt, who died. Sad. Rest in peace. Rip. Uh, star, of two, Mike, star of Michael. So two franchises. Yeah. I think He's getting it, in the Marvel universe. Man. I think it's kind of crazy that Harrison Ford, like, when we're checking in with him right now, he's checked out, and he's like almost 70 in this movie. And you're like, all right, he's going to kind of- How old is he now? He's 80. Flat? Yeah. Wow. And he's like still doing decent amount of his own stunts. Not like, you know, crazy shit, but- He's 70 in Extraordinary Measures? He's close to 70. I was going to say, he looks like a pretty good- seven. Like It's like 60. He 60. looks really good for his age. Yeah, he, I would say he looked like late 50s. Yeah, I think yeah. he's like 73 in The Force Awakens or something. Which that kind of reads. Yeah. It, he, his age kind of reads yeah. in Force Awakens. But he looks good for his age. Oh, so. yeah. And he and yeah. he's great. Yeah. It's, it's, um, but the thing I find funny is like when someone starts getting into like movies like this and they're almost 70, you're like, all right, the career's kind of, you know, done. Like you had your run at it and you're just going to kind of do things like this. And he has like a comeback. But it's not in dramas. It's a comeback in fucking action movie. Action and franchise. Seventy five. Yeah, I think that's kind of crazy. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Like it's really cool. Like he does two more Star Wars movies and Indiana Jones. Do you think? Do you think he's got another like witness Oscar nom in the tank? I think the second he decides to do an old man drama about like being an old adventurer and hanging up the cap or something. If he does a Clint Eastwood Unforgiven type, yeah. That's his Oscar. That's his Oscar. Um, and he did get to present the Oscar to Everything Ever All at Once last year. He did. The thing about Harrison Ford um, is that Call of the Wild gets so close to being that movie, but it's saddled with also being about a fucking dog. <laughs> 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 because you watch it, he's giving this very tender performance in that movie of like, I lost my son, I used to prospect, and now all I have is myself. And he's like just really depressed and sad, and the movie's about him like getting one final go at it. Uh, but it's also like keeps cutting away to this fucking dog, like running CGI dog running through the woods. It is a really is it? It's not a good CGI dog. Is it's it? a, it's motion capture, so it at least moves normally, but it doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, and so that's the problem with that movie. I secretly hope Indiana Jones Five lets him have that performance. I mean, because the trailer looks like it's about like getting old. I will say, uh, uh, fuck, 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 fuck. James, James Mangold. Mangold. But here's the thing: James Mangold wrote the Call of the Wild, and that's why I'm like, uh, is he good? No, no, that's no good. Oh, thing. Good, good, yeah. good. That's why I'm like, if he he did a rewrite on Call of the Wild. Well, if because all... they they screened it and no one liked it, and so he did a rewrite. Well, Jeff, Jeff, it... The only thing missing from his repertoire then is a movie where he takes like once a very popular franchise actor and then goes back to them when they're in a really old age, yeah. rethinking about their life decisions. Logan, Logan. <laughs> Hugh Jackman's not very old, but it is funny. In the that... in the Marvel no. universe, X Men Wolverine's really old. But on, what that... I'm saying is, yeah. I like the. Is che- this movie gonna be? Fucking... I think it might be pretty good. I think it might be. Really I like good. the cheat of Logan that it can be a movie about being fucking old as shit, but they are able to cast forty-five-year-old Hugh Jackman in it because of the cheat of Wolverine. Yeah, um, I will say. I mean, uh, Patrick Stewart shows his age in that. Yeah, movie. he's old as hell. Yeah. Now, do I think Harrison Ford's going to get an Oscar nomination for Indiana Jones Five? I do not think so. 
Well, do I think that movie could be like? Let's go continue. Sorry, sorry. Do I think that movie could be like? He could give the performance that I've kind of been wanting from him recently. Yes. He still doesn't have a win. He does not. He's only had one nomination. Don't you think this is going to be like an Academy? It's his turn kind of thing. It could be if, if it's does, really we... good. Yeah. Which I also think the Academy like is a real like they would really be riding on him doing like I don't know some old like some drama like not an actual drama. It's called like you know fucking five years in Winterborn or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can be hopeful, but I I, I yeah. can definitely see this being like a. I mean, this is his last Indiana Jones movie. Yes, no doubt about it. He said as much. Yeah, James Mangold said as much. Yeah, this is like the last Indiana Jones movie, probably. Yeah. Barry Paramount doesn't fuck over anything, but, but I mean, I I have a lot of faith in James Mangold. I have a lot of faith in this movie. Um, as I said, you're on your way to the theater right now, listening to this episode. Um, send us an email. Let us know how it was. Let us know. Did you like it? Yeah. Well, we'll know. <laughs> yeah. But I think um, checking in with him where we are with Extraordinary Measures now. is interesting because we talked early in this show about how Brendan was kind of being set up for a career like his. Yeah, right, And I think right. it's interesting that we're finding them both in a ditch, essentially, at the same time with this movie. At different points in their careers. Yeah. Because, I mean, Fraser had a 10-year run. Yes. A good 10-year run. Whereas Ford had like a twenty year good run, and he was he was older, and he was older. Fraser's now in two thousand ten. Fraser is, um, uh, thirties, early forties, something like that. Probably like forty clean. Yeah, they're man. Oh, he's forty two. Yeah, so he's forty two. Whereas Harrison, uh, Harrison Ford. Is born in nineteen sixty-eight in this movie. Forty-two, sixty-eight. Oh, late sixties. You were right yep. on the money. Um, so I guess like, and it's something that I actually noticed in this movie. When you look at the two performances, one of them feels like they have something to lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of them does not. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just seems like. And that being said, it's why I like Harrison's performance better yeah. than Fraser's. Because Harrison is just doing like a, I'm an angry doctor. Yeah. Get out of my workshop. No. <laughs> Har- Harrison's in that same vein as Tommy Lee Jones, where even when you can tell they have like contempt for the material and they're kind of checked out, there's something inherently appealing about them being grumpy. In the movie. Which you say contempt about the material, but in fact, he's an executive producer in this movie. He's an executive producer in this yeah. movie. But it's, it's that thing where, like, Tommy Lee Jones, when you watch him in, like, the first Captain America, you can tell he really doesn't want to be there, but it kind of makes his performance better. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, so, but yeah. him being an, an, an executive producer. Yes. Now, I've not read any stories about... There was, like, one loose article, I don't know how true it is, that, like, Harrison Ford read about this story. Yeah. Extraordinary Measures is based off a book. Yeah. Not written by John Crowley, by the yes. way. It's written by an author who wrote John Crowley's story. It's called The Cure... How a father gathered a hundred thousand dollars, and then there's another part of it. It's like bucketed the medical industry. <laughs> I got it. The cure: How a father raised a hundred million and bucked the medical establishment in a quest to save his children by Gita Anand. That's the title. Yes. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Right. 
uh i guess harrison there's like a small story where like harrison read the story did some research on on john crowley was inspired by it and he was kind of one of the front runners of trying to get this movie made i don't think he was the sole proprietor of trying to get this movie made that's not what i'm saying at all but i do think that he 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 recognized the story and probably wanted to try to make it a a story about a father saving his kids yeah yeah let's do it I could play, play the, the doctor. I'll play the angry doctor. I played a doctor once. Yeah. It was Richard Kimball. <laughs> doctor. Doctor Richard Kimball. Um, yeah. So I think that's most of the table setting for this movie. I think so. I think we got it. I know you have a lot to say, but is that during the plot? We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more during yeah. the plot. Um, yeah. 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 So uh, did you just jump into it? Yeah, we'll jump into it. Okay. Um, like I said, the first thing that snuck out to me was Brennan's top build in this movie over Harrison. Yep. And we just talked about why. Um, yeah. I think we summed that up pretty well. Um, but the movie starts yeah. and we have a Brendan Fraser working as a senior vice president for a, uh, medical research company that also works as sort of like a grant uh, it's, he works, it's a foundation. He works at an advertising company at the beginning. A marketing company for, I believe, medicines. Oh, is it medicines? Yeah, because okay. he talk, the movie starts with him like on the phone and be like, I got to tell you, like kids aren't going to take these pills if the pills aren't pink or whatever yeah. the hell it is. It's kind of an interesting uh, story. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, he's an advertising executive and he has two kids. Uh, the two kids... Uh, are Megan and I think uh, Patrick. Yeah, Megan and Patrick. He has another kid too who I don't see his name. Um, Oh, John. John Crowley Jr. But so he has three kids, two of which who are the ages about eight and nine. Uh, Megan, played by Meredith Droger. Yeah. This is being intercut with him trying to get to his daughter's birthday party. She's turning nine. And it's the whole like, dad, you're always busy with Mm. work kind of thing. Uh, Megan and Patrick have Pompeii disease. Pompeii disease is a real Mm. affliction um, that mostly begins in affecting infants. Yeah. It is a, it's like a lack of enzyme that doesn't produce a certain uh, biological material that results in enlarged organs, particularly the heart and muscle atrophy and neurological deficiency. Mm-hmm. So in essence, they lose, they, they're not able to walk. A lot of them have to be, have uh, respirators to breathe and they will over time lose even more motor functions. As we see in the movie, the life expectancy. And this is where I, I don't know how the movie differs, but because in the real story, his kids are age five and six. Yes. In this movie, they're a little bit older, which I think that is to... Because five and six-year-olds can talk. Yeah, they just but need, they need them to be a little more... Aware of what's happening. Aware in this movie. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so he goes and he uh, makes it to the birthday party. Candles get blown out. And then it it's presented in the movie that the life expectancy is nine years old, in which... Megan just turned eight, mm. I think, is what it is. So the, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking on Megan. Um, 
in real life, I know the life expectancy for kids is very short, and I don't know exactly if the life expectancy is particularly like um, eight or nine, but I do know where you find it, where you diagnose it is mostly in infants, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be a key thing when I go on my little rant about this medication. Yeah. That is in the movie, actually. Yes. So, um, so I think it's very quickly in the movie is when he contacts Robert, Dr. Robert Stonehill. Yeah, he's calling all these doctors to try and, um, like, find miracle, to find, like, the cure that no one's looking at. Yeah. And he calls Dr. Robert Stonehill, who's Harrison Ford, who's like, hello. And then he accidentally fucking unplugs his phone. Yeah, it's to show that, I guess, this doctor is, like, old and... Yeah, it's not in tune. Weird with, like, slapstick routine. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but, but he's working like yeah. with his whiteboard, but he doesn't. Yeah. They don't have a conversation. And like this is all fine, but the thing that's immediately throwing me off is that this movie kind of looks like a TV show. Absolutely. No, it, yeah. This, and it sounds like a TV show. It looks, sounds, and feels like a TV yeah. show. It's like an extended TV movie. Yeah, and I want to quickly talk about the composer of this movie. Oh, yeah. Did you look at this? No, I didn't look at it, but I are you gonna is this a commentary on the score? Uh yes, it's a commentary on the score, but it's also more. Uh the DP of this movie also shot Mon- Monkey Bone, by the way. Um in terms of people we talked about before. Um the composer of this movie is Andrea Guerra, who's an Italian composer. Uh she does a lot of Italian movies. Um you know what her one of her first American movies is? Hotel Rwanda, directed by Terry George. Fascinating. The guy we're going to talk about in a few weeks. Yeah, interesting. She does more Italian movies. She does this. And then she has this like little run of American movies. Uh-huh. Goes back to Italian movies. And then has recently like decided to only do Bollywood movies. She's like moved to India and does Bollywood movies now. Weird. Weird career. I just wanted to talk about that um, or bring that up. Um, but the score for this movie is not good. It's very saccharine. It's very like Um Yeah. Like a knock on the window. We're having some stain on our deck today. It's probably what's happening. Um so sorry, I'm looking something up for Pompeii disease. Um Pompeii. Oh, most children with untreated Pompeii disease die during the first year of life of a combination of uh, ventilatory and cardiac failure before reaching motor milestones such as sitting, turning, and standing is rare for an infected child to live past the age of 18 months. Um, that is from rarediseaseadvisor.com. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This was the most confusing bit about it for me about Pompeii disease. Cause yeah. a lot of the things I read is like Pompeii disease, you catch it when they're an infant. And if there's no treatment, which there wasn't at this point, yeah. life is very low. And the fact that they're eight and nine was kind of like, Hmm. Yeah. That's like the, the top end. It is very top end. And they say in the movie, like that they're like at the top end. Yeah. So, which leads us to the next plot point, which is, um, Megan in particular, she starts uh, having breathing problems. Mm-hmm. So they take her to the hospital. This is set as like your classic medical dramatic scene yeah. where they take her into the hospital. They're talking to a doctor and the doctor is played by some guy. 
Yeah, but it's it's no one I really recognize. I, I see. I, I recognize him from something, but he's not popular at this point in time, I don't believe. But um, I can't wait till we talked about uh, Dr. Kent Weber, played by <laughs> Jared Harris. Who does a different accent in every scene. But we'll talk about that. <laughs> so... Um, but the doctor says she's saying, you know, Megan, she is towards the late end of Pompeii disease. I would just, you know, be thankful that she made it this far. Um, and then there's a dramatic scene where she's like about to die, but then the, she's able to pull through. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor's like, listen, like your daughter pulled through, but I give her like maybe a year. Yeah. And so. And this is the moment that sends Fraser Crowley into like, I have one year to cure my daughter, to cure my children. Yeah. And so he leaves his job in the middle of the day and yep. flies to Nebraska yep. to hunt down Dr. Robert Stonehill. Yeah. And he waits outside of his office for hours and then catches him at a bar. Yeah. Because he leaves and doesn't talk to him, doesn't talk to Crowley. Yeah. And so Fraser follows him to a bar where they talk about enzymes. Yeah, they, they talk about the whole, like, what's your research about finding a cure? Yeah. And so... uh. No one's talking about my enzyme. Right. He says my enzyme so much in this movie. Yeah, he does. Uh, it, it's very much so like, uh, so Dr. Stonehill, Harrison Ford, he kind of goes on this rant about his research, about what he's trying to do, about the the lack of this certain enzyme production that he can take an enzyme from, I think at first he says like a horse or a cow enzyme from milk. Yeah, udder. Uh, right. Utter. It's an utter disaster. <laughs> nice. And so um, he's talking about it, and Fraser is interrogating him about it, and he's like, well, do you think you could have a cure within a year or something? Not unless you have like half a million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he says, what if I could get that to you in like a week or so with my foundation? Yeah. He's like, what's your foundation? I've never heard about it. We're a very new startup foundation. Yeah. So... It's like okay, well, if you can get that, then that's at least a start. We can get a we can get a lab, we can get staff, blah yeah. blah blah. So Fraser sets off. His wife's really upset because he comes home. It's like you can't just leave your job. We have insurance. Like we have to have your insurance to pay the fifty thousand dollars a month medical bills for um for Megan and Patrick. Yeah, which fills in some of the gaps a little bit about why they're still alive. Yeah. And it's part 0.5 of my little rant here. Mm-hmm. That it makes sense that an advertising executive who makes a lot of money is able to afford enough of constant nurse care yeah. for his kids. Yes. And why, if you look up Pompeii before treatment, that the life expectancy is like maybe three years old. Yeah. Because and he's able to afford the, you know... The extraordinary measures of treatment. And, like, again, I know, like, there's the happy family movie gloss that I wish I could just look over and be like, oh, he really cares about his kids. But I think it's worth noting that this is not a reality for many, many, many people. Yeah. Uh, Pompeii is very rare. I think it's, like, one out of 1,600 people in Mm. the U.S. have, are born with this disease. There's also a late-onset version of Pompeii disease yeah. that doesn't hit you, I believe until you're in your teens up to your 30. Yeah. And I, a lot of people say like, that's almost worse mm. because you begin losing motor functions. You yeah, already have. Had. 
and it happens very rapidly. Yeah. And your life expectancy, I think, is like when you reach the age of 50 or mm-hmm. something like that. Because the, the weird thing about this movie is like at its core, you understand like the the appeal of the story. Like this movie is about a, you know, a businessman cutting through red tape to try and like um, and, you know, cutting down bureaucracy and about the inefficiency of big pharma systems and whatnot. But then you read about like what the guy is actually like in real life, and there's a little bit more to it. But... Well, then you find out he's not cutting through any red tape. He's yeah. not cutting through any bureaucracy. He is actually going through an already established FDA plan to get this drug made, but cuts corners in through his conflict of interest, which is mentioned in this movie, yeah. to treat his kids who are older than what the treatment was initially made for Yeah, because the treatment... Uh, the cost of said treatment is by a certain amount of milligrams for yeah. infant children because of the the nature of producing these said yeah. enzymes and what attributes to the cost of the drug. Yeah, and that's the weird the one the weird thing about this movie is that at the end he does like cheat the system to get his kids treated even though they're not infants, but that's not something any other kids get. Because, all right, now I'm gonna get to my well. Should no, we I'm go not. through a little more of the plot? Yes, let's go more, more okay. through the plot. Sorry. So basically, Fraser starts this nonprofit, and he and his wife, through a fundraiser, are able to raise 90000 Yeah. They bring Harrison to their house in Portland. They have a nice little cute scene where Harrison yeah. bonds with Megan. Yeah. They give him the, the check, and he's like, it's more than I thought, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, like, it's going to cost us a lot of money, but I'm going to give you the worst deal you ever had. You and me are going to go into business together. Yeah. And so... It Fraser, seemed like a victorious moment. Yeah, and so Fraser leaves his job. Yeah. And founds a new company called like Priozine, I think it is. Something like Priozine. that. And this is based on the story where the uh, the the people who originally founded the cure were our researchers from the University of Duke mm-hmm. uh, or Duke University uh, who founded their company it's like Zenzyme yeah. or some shit yeah. like that. And the thing is all the all the fundraising stuff in this scene is the juice I want to see in a movie. Yes. Like Lorenzo's oil, which I'm going to mention a lot, has like spends like probably 45 minutes about fundraising. Yeah. And it's all about like, you know, greasing the wheels and Nick Nolte's making pasta and it's it's a good like that's the Just stuff the you fitting in the Nick Nolte making pasta. Up no, because that's a major part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a major element of that movie. Yeah, right. And so like that's the stuff you want to see in a movie. Yeah. This movie is so quick to like get to the points. That it forgets what makes movies entertaining are like watching the process happen. Right. And a, a thing that I thought this movie could have done is you see a suave, charismatic CEO, Brendan Fraser, like bargaining yeah. for money and pretending he's sort of like yeah. this objective, like yeah. maker of this miracle cure to sell it yeah. and be profitable. But behind the veil, he's a father trying to save his kids. Yeah. The movie kind of almost does that. It keeps getting really close to actually maybe the first pitch something. scene. The yes. first pitch scene. Yes. When he's talking to that medical board and he's the one talking about the profit share and yeah. things like that. It's almost kind of weird and I almost kind of like it because he does speak more to that and doesn't mention about, oh, and by the way, my kids have Pompeii no, that's disease. No, that's the stuff you want to see in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, the pr- you want to see, the, you want this movie to be about the extraordinary measures Fraser has to go through yeah. to get this drug. Mm-hmm. And instead, like... It just cuts between important moment, important moment, and instead of showing us the process. I want to see, like, there's and, like a 30-second montage of them calling fundraisers. Yeah. I want to see, like, 30 minutes 
of fundraisers, setting up this big fundraising event. And the pitches that they have to do yeah. to the companies and the the where the montage of, of Harrison Ford explaining the science. Yeah. I want to see 30 minutes of that yeah. bullshit, too. I want to see all the juice. Yeah. But then it cuts to... Daddy, will I be cured? Like, yeah. and I get it. It's that family, yeah. like you know, the it's the more milk and honey that we need to give to middle America families. But you're right, Jeff. I do kind of want to see more of like the analytical yeah. spreadsheets and yeah. the when the lights turn off and he didn't pay for a if, generator. If, if and, you're gonna make a movie about curing a disease, make a movie about curing a disease. Yeah. Um. There's not a lot of about. There's also not a lot of the science in it either. Yeah. There's no breakthrough scene. Yeah. You there's realize no, that? there's no breakthrough scene. There's no breakthrough because he scene. has the breakthrough at the beginning of the movie. He's like, my enzyme. I just gotta prove it. <laughs> right. I just got. I just gotta synthesize it and like make turn a theory into a yeah. reality. Yeah. Like, I, there's plenty of movies we can turn to where it's like there's Iron Man and Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah. When he's like trying to do time travel, and he says, "Turn it into this." Yeah. And then time travel complete. I did it. Yeah. That does not exist in this movie. Yeah. Not even a baseline level. Like no. That. Yeah. Not at all. And I do want to say, like, right before they go into business, Harrison Ford helps Brendan Fraser put his kids to bed. And the kids, like, kiss SpongeBob. And then Harrison Ford leans down and kisses a SpongeBob plush on the forehead. And I maybe reround and watch that twice. <laughs> because it's just like, all right. And he just kisses SpongeBob. Just I'm knowing that that happened is... I'm glad you have that with you. For I had that moment. Yeah. Um, but they go into business together. And they found Pryozyme. Um, they and then, set up their first pitch with yes. these executives. And this pitch is between uh, three scientists yeah. who are in charge of this like grant foundational yeah. business. They're trying to get some money out of them. They start with, you know. One Brent- of those scientists is the real John Crowley, by the way, in that scene. That's what it was. I heard he made a real cameo in it. I didn't remember what it was, though. I watched that scene, and I thought he he looked like um, Paul Reiser. And I'm like, oh, is that Paul Reiser? And I looked it up, and it was actually John Crowley. I'm like, oh, never mind then. Yeah, and so Brendan Fraser starts talking about like the profitability of this, and he mentions the term orphan drug. Yes. Jeff. Yes. Are you familiar with this terminology, no. orphan drug? Orphan drug is an FDA term. For when this is part two of my rant, mm-hmm. uh, is an is a drug where so let's say you're a business, just yeah. purely a business. What is going to be more profitable, coming up with the cure to the common cold or coming up with the cure to Pompeii disease? The common cold, right? Why? Because more people get the common cold. Yeah. So then, but does that mean we should just never find cures for these one out of a thousand diseases? Mm-hmm. No. So what do they do? You label it as an orphan drug. And what that does is it qualifies you for government subsidizing. Yeah. Because you are finding a cure to a niche disease, kind of. Yeah. And what that does is it gives you like special grants, special loans, special all these things. You also get an extended patent on your cure. I think it's actually extended by like the regular patents, like 10 years. I think you get a 20 year patent mm-hmm. on the orphan drug. Yeah. And you get all these special government bonuses in an effort so you can actually make a profit yes. on a drug of this kind. Yeah. Uh, the problem, though, is that none of this carries into effect of pricing of the drug itself. Yes. Which Fraser says in this pitch room mm-hmm. because they say, well, what what do you what what are your calculations of the people taking this drug? And he says, well, you'll need probably like two injections a month yeah. for the rest of your life. So you do the math on that, and he says that yeah. in the in the scene. 
This is the juice that we talked yeah, about. <laughs> this is actually the scene that I would like like more of. Where he kind of has to be a bit of a sniveling businessman about Yeah, because it. The, the other guy is like, well, assuming the drug doesn't work for everybody who takes it, what percentage of survival do we need to still be profitable? Yeah. And Fraser's like, you could, pr- with up to 25% mortality, this would still be profitable. Yeah. And it's just like, kind of like, fuck. And it's like, that's the movie you want to see is this guy who has to compromise his morality to save his kids. Yeah. Um, and so the movie's like, no, he's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't even, cl- it, the movie doesn't even point attention to it. Yeah. You realize that? Like he says yeah. it in passing. That's the, the only scene where that happens. Right. You expect that you expect that to be a thread, but that's the only scene where that's gifts brought up. Right. There is one scene where they talk about acceptable loss. Yeah. Something like that. Acceptable loss. Yeah. So then they say, but we're scientists, Dr. Stonehill, can you any yeah. go and there's a montage of him explaining the whole thing. And then that's when they start poking holes in his medicine because yeah. they, they say like well where do you get these enzyme i'm gonna get them from an equine udder or whatever yeah. he's like okay but how are you gonna synthesize it i want to synthesize this you the fda is never gonna let you synthesize it this so what's your theory on blah 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 and he's like <laughs> he storms out he storms out he's too he's he gets angry that they're poking holes in his science and fraser has to tell him yeah. to call, cool his britches and so they get money they get money. You make a deal. Yeah. The it, old, so he stormed out of that pitch and that kind of flopped their deal. Except then there's a scene where Fraser, what he does is he compromises the ownership of the company. Yeah, kind of. Essentially. He sells the company for a certain amount of millions of dollars. He So essentially they're trying to get a grant. Yeah. And the deal he makes is that you only have to pay us a little bit of the grant now. And if we show promise, you can give us the rest later. And it's any like promising of sh- getting some... Something in clinical trials in a year. Yeah, and clinical trials within a year. Yeah. And then the the thing is, like, you expect you're going to get a little bit of time of them in their lab. <laughs> within, like, 15 minutes, <laughs> they get bought up by a bigger company. Yeah. They're, within 15 minutes, the investors call them, like, you guys either need to come up with, like, $2 million or get bought up by a bigger company. Yeah. And you know what? Fraser's also <laughs> Uh, Harrison describes this as, you're selling my balls in a jelly jar. <laughs> he does say that. I wrote all my favorite lines down because they are inherently funny. What does he say? He says something that's like, I'm going to take a shit. Is that uh, within your yeah. budget or whatever? Yeah, he says, that was acceptable within your budget range or something like that. Yeah. Um, so they get bought by a bigger company, which is already developing three attempts at a, a Pompeii drug. Yes. And so Harrison becomes the fourth. Yeah, there's one scene where they're at their original lab where the power goes out because there's yeah. a tornado. And I do think this is kind of a funny scene yeah. because they're like, all right, we'll turn on the, the backup generator. And they just look at Brendan Fraser. And Brendan Fraser's like, oh, cut to them running out in the truck. Yeah. It's like, you didn't get a backup generator. We live in Tornado Alley. Yeah. If I don't get a backup generator in 45 minutes, then I lose the samples yeah. and I lose seven months of my work. Yeah. And then they go to a Home Depot. They buy a putt-putt. <laughs> Yeah, they buy a putt putt, but none of them have money. Yeah. So they make the intern buy yeah. it for them. <laughs> and the thing is, can you really run a building of that size on a putt putt generator? No. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. You I have was... to run how many refrigerators, electricity? Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking of. I'm like, can they do this? The air conditioning, the heat. It's not they... gonna work. No. Um But then they get bought up by this big company and they're now back in Portland in this big mega facility. Yeah. That's when we're introduced to Jared Harris. To Jared Harris. Uh, Dr. Kent Weber. Dr. Kent Weber, as well as uh, 
Eric Loring, the CEO of this company, Pat, yes. played by Patrick Bacco. Um, and so it should be noted that, you know, this is where the movie gets very much more like, oh, they're the suits and the suits want money and we will show us progress and objectivity. We don't care about lives and kids. Mm -hmm. But it's very cartoony. Yeah. Like Jared Harris is very clearly playing like a cartoony businessman yes. kind of. Yeah. Where he's, and he, he even speaks like Jared Harris. Great villain voice. Yeah. What accent is he doing in the scene? It changes with each scene. I don't. I never actually caught caught on, but it seems like like a distant Scottish. Well, that, there's a scene where he comes in. He's just talking kind of like this. And I'm like, oh, is he Southern? And the next thing he comes in, oh, I'm Jared Harris. I'm from New York City. And I'm like, wait a second. He's like, I'm actually from Brooklyn. I'm like, all right, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, is he actually, Br is he just doing his British? I couldn't. It changes with each scene. I he think, has, I, he has no handle on whatever he's trying to I think he regularly has a British accent, right? Yeah. And then I think he's probably just trying to do an American accent. And he has not. no handle on what accent he's trying to do in this movie. No, not at all. And like, it's not like, they're all good. It's just he needs to pick one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Shot this all out of order, maybe. Yeah. Um. This, I think we can kind of skip like 30 minutes of the movie at this point. Yeah, because nothing happens. It's a lot of like... Them just standing around. Fraser tries to steal some enzymes at some point. Well, so because what happens is they there's some tension oh, yeah. between like him, Fraser and Dr. Weber about something about getting clinical trials yeah. done. And so well, he does this presentation. So the way Jared Harris sets this up is it's the four teams working on a cure. Uh, separately. And separately. And he says it's an entrepreneurial capitalist model. That keeps them in competition, so they want to do better. And Fraser's like, well, they're all working on the same shit. This slows everyone down. This is the overall project down. Right. He's saying there should be, like, a leadership yeah. team. That communicates between them. Yeah, that they can all compare each other's work. And the company agrees, except they can't put Harrison on it. Because... He's crotchety. He yells <laughs> and plays fucking loud music. Plays credence. That's a lot of this movie. Yeah. A lot of this movie is the scientists working in their lab and then cut to Harrison working with loud rock music. Yeah. It happens many a time. It does. Um, I guess in like real life science with, I, I mean, I'm not a medical researcher or scientist or doctor. So I have no idea what would be better or worse if you just have all these scientists yeah. working together on, because essentially the moment you have all these scientists check their work, it becomes one drug being yes. made as opposed to four different drugs being made and seeing which of the four drugs work. So it's like, there is some merit behind the mm -hmm. capitalistic entrepreneurial ish of it, of what Dr. Weber is saying. You also understand what Fraser's saying, where it's like if they can all see each of the piece of the puzzle that they're missing, then yeah. they'll be able to come up with one drug faster. But the problem is, is that one drug is faulty and doesn't work. You just set all four of your teams working on that one drug yeah. that they now have to go to the drawing board. Whereas opposed to if team number two makes their drug first and doesn't work, you still have three teams yeah. working individually. And so like the, what they do in the movie is... Um, they keep four separate teams, but they share information. Right. I think they do. They do a and they, they and do clinical trials. I think they right? do clinical trials on one drug. They have to pick one for clinical trials. Right. Because but they keep oh, all they keep. It's, yes. It's, pro it's probably yeah, the it's smartest confusing. version of it. Yeah. They keep the four teams, but they share information that because they but they conceal which 
yeah. enzyme it is. Yeah. Right? Because there's like the pink enzyme, the green, the red, the blue. No, he said he he's like we have four we have co- coded them after four main colors. And I'm like, okay, so it's gonna be red, green, blue, yellow or something. He's like, yellow, red, green, magenta. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. Let's reel this back a little bit. <laughs> magenta? I, well, magenta is like classified as the main color. Yeah, but magenta? Like on Adobe Premiere and like any type of coloring, look, it's look. usually magenta is the option. I know. I know. Yeah. But let's be real. If you're labeling the four things, why the fuck you pick magenta? I, I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> I can't. I can't answer that for you. <laughs> I know you can't. Maybe because red and yellow can like, if they get like too diluted. fucking purple. Or maybe. Just say purple. I, I, it's very weird that it's like yellow, I, red, green. I have magenta. no explanation for it. Um, but so, yeah, they do. It's kind of like a double blind little test where they send all four of these uh, research theories to each of the teams. And mm-hmm. the teams pick the one of the four that they read and see is the best. Yeah. And so eventually Brendan Fraser goes to Stonehill yeah. and says, here's the four enzymes Tell me which one's. Tell the me best. which one's the best. And he says green. Yeah, green's the best. He's he like, says, "Is he yours? Is he yours?" It's like I know my baby from a mile away. No, that's not mine. Yeah, it. My theory's better, but this one's ready to be made now. Mm-hmm. Which is that is like the key uh, central conflict of Doctor Stonehill's arc in this movie yeah. is that he has a lot of great theories, but he can't ever synthesize something. Mm-hmm. They say it a lot in the movie that you've yeah. never made an actual drug to market before, right? Mm-hmm. So. So they have the green uh, drug ready to go to clinical trials, and then comes the main thing of, well, I want to put my children in the trial. Yeah. And Dr. Kim Weber's like, no. Your kids aren't infants. Yeah. And so Stonehill's the one who comes up with the idea that- sibling. Because they had two kids with it. They come up with a sibling trial, which is valuable. um, Because they're two people with the same genetic makeup and see how they respond differently to the cure. Yeah. And so- he sets that up and then behind Weber's, Weber's back, back. Behind Jared Harris's back and Jared Harris is fucking pissed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's furious. And he says, have you not heard of conflict of interest? Like you, we cannot put your kids in a clinical study of a drug that you are the senior vice president of, mm-hmm. which is right. Yeah. <laughs> that is the correct yeah. way to think about it, but they make Kent Weber seem like he's the... The villain. The villain, the asshole. So what does he do? He fires him. He says, I just spoke to the CEO. We need you to clean up your desk. You're fired. And at first, he's like, oh, I got fired for pulling this down. It's like, no, no, no. We're firing you so we can put your kids in the trial. So, which is made to seem like it's sort of like a loophole they're doing. Yeah. So therefore, his kids do get, um, they do get the clinical trial. Yeah, and blah blah blah. They're given like a IV drip, and they're like, "When will we know it work? It'll work uh, in a few hours yeah. or so." So then, Doctor Stonehill visits, and they're talking. Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, like I really wish it could have been your enzyme that worked. And it's like, well, yeah. And it's sort of like the lesson that yeah. Stonehill's to learn that I don't know. I don't and know then, what lesson. Yeah, he and then they hear laughing. And they hear laughing. And they go in the room, and the kids are laughing. They're like, "Why?" He's like, "It's the it's sugar. sugar. It's the sugar. sugar breaking down in their muscles. There's a sugar high." Yeah, it's like so. That means it work. It's working. Yeah, it's, it's working, and it's a big victorious moment. Yeah. Hooray! 
that's basically the end of the movie. Think, we get like the the classic like biopic like words right. on the screen. Yeah, us know what happened. All the characters, which leaves out some crucial information. Right, because it says John Crowley now runs like a foundation for rare diseases. Yeah. It doesn't count Dr. all the times that he almost got appointed to the U.S. Senate or ran for the U.S. Senate. Yeah, um, in New Jersey. Right. Um, I do want to say there's one scene a little before the end where they're the family's all sitting around their TV and they're playing a Wii. They're playing Wii bowling. I'm like, it's a little fucking rude of them to have a Wii. Because you got to, you know. <laughs> well, because I think at, at, at what time their kids had arm function. But no, they because the Wii came out like the year this movie films. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's a little rude. The real story takes place in like what, like the late nineties? Yeah. Well, uh, let's say like two thousand four or whatever. Oh, no, I think it was late nineties. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, but they have the one kid who's like fully functional, and like I'm sure buy a Wii for him. It's a little rude of them to all sit around and watch the two kids in wheelchairs have to watch their brother play Wii. Yeah, I think that's a little mean. Um. Harrison Ford at one point also says, you can't bench me. I'm a force of nature. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the, the movie is, you know, it, it tends to be very uplifting at the end, but there's a little bit of that you're just like, all right. Stuart, I feel like you had more to say. Well, so I guess like a big thing that, I um, I'm I'm trying I'm looking up an article because it's gonna sound morbid, but I think both of his kids are still alive. They are. I I checked. Yeah. So let me carry you, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, to a little more realistic nature of this drug, which I don't remember what they named. Oh, I know what it's named in real life. It, uh, uh, what it was named in real life was like men menazyme, something like that. And then it got bought. Well, yeah. in 2008, I believe, um, either in 2008 or maybe even earlier. So this drug that they came up with that's in the movie was for infants only. Because of the amount of enzyme that they would have had to produce for a larger person. So for an infant, they only have to produce a certain number of enzyme, which is cost effective, mm -hmm. which still costs a lot of money. But then um, I think in 2008 or 2009, the FDA approved of the same company, Genzyme, yeah. for a drug called Lumazyme, which is for both infants and late onset Pompe disease, yeah. which is essentially just it, it, you, it, you take an intravenous powder and you break it up yeah. and that's what you do for an injection, an infusion. Uh, I want to read this article. From Reuters, Pompe drug lauded by Trump costs three hundred thousand dollars a year. It's tremendous, believe me, folks. It's it's cure for Pompe, Pompe. That's right, folks. We're pushing the volcano back in the mountain. We're saving Pompe. It's tremendous. All those ash people. Everyone loves the ashes. So this I thought that was pretty. This good. article came from. I thought that was a pretty good joke. Uh, it is a really good joke. Thank you. Uh, I believe one of Trump's uh, State of the Union addresses yes. where he talks about the need to bring down artificially high prices for prescription drugs, which is right, which is correct. Yes. We need to bring the prices down for big pharma prescription drugs. But while also then praising the drug that was used to save Megan Crowley's life, which is quoted in his address, 
not recognizing that that drug used to save her life is, according to the parent company website, says $300,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But if you look up other sources, it can be much higher. Um, on goodrx.com, uh, an article that came out in March 2020, the 10 most expensive drugs in the U.S. Number eight on that list is Lumazyme, which is listed as a annual cost of $643,000. Just to read this real quick for the audience. Lumazyme used to treat Pompe disease and a hair disorder, blah, 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 blah. It affects the liver, heart, muscles, leads to muscle weakness and trouble breathing. Lumazyme is an annual list price of $643,000 up 2% from 2019. Patients must get Lumazine from their doctor. It's not available in pharmacies. Dosing for Lumazine is based on a patient's weight. Patients are giving 20 milligrams of Lumazine per kilograms of body weight through an IV infusion. For example, a person weighing about 75 kilograms, AKA 165 pounds, will likely use 60 vials a month of Lumazyme, each vial with a price of $825. Mm -hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, if you just Google, what is the cost of Lumazyme? The first thing that drugs.com is going to pull up for you is a 50 milligram injection is around $1,000 for a supply of one powder for injection. Mm -hmm. And you may think, oh, that's just one powder per injection, which they do two injections a month. That's $2,000. That's a lot of money, but that's not crazy, right? But as I've just expressed to you, that patients need tens of these vials of powder for their mm -hmm. body weight. Hence why there were a differentiation between the infant-only based cure or treatment as opposed to the late onset treatment. Yeah. So infants, you're right. They may not have to pay this much, but for anyone with late onset Pompeii disease, a fully grown adult will most likely have to pay, as I just described, $643,000 a year. Yeah. And I know that is without insurance, and I can get into that whole bullshit because Lumazyme, the parent company, Xanafi, does the same thing that all the other big pharma companies do, which is where they get a copay card, a savings card, and all these things. So if you qualify under a certain... Um, income level that you can that it takes away some of the cost mm. of that this is where my personal things come into play yeah. I'm going to tell the audience that I have a chronic autoimmune condition called Crohn's disease Yeah, it's not nowhere near as debilitating as, as Pompeii mm. Crohn's disease is, like, is mostly effective in the digestive tract um, I was diagnosed when I, and when I was um, about 20 years old, and thankfully I was still under my parents' insurance, so um, all the uh, benefits that I, all the treatment options that I had to go through um, was covered through my parents' insurance. It still costed us quite a bit of money. Um, we still had to get help from other family members, which I was privileged enough to have. Um. And I went through about an entire year's worth of very expensive treatments, ER visits, uh, drugs, uh, all sorts of things. And then by the end of it all, when I finally had my Crohn's under control when I was in remission and, and not out of a flare-up, I still had to take a drug to quote-unquote maintain my remission, uh, as told by my doctors, called Humira. 
and I'm sure you've seen commercials of Humira on TV. Humira is treated like this wonder drug that fixes autoimmune conditions such as Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, spondyloarthritis, and so many other things. And it seems like, well, wow, what a miracle drug. Except AdBee has a patent. AdBee, the parent company for Humira, has a patent on Humira. And they and I have to take, as well as majority of other patients who are on Humira, has to take uh, two injection pills a month, biweekly. And without insurance, each pen costs $7,000. Mm. Now, you may say, oh, but like you said, AbbVie, like other, other companies, have savings cards and um, they they have copay cards and all these things. But when you get down to the brass tacks of when you're 26 and you're out of your parents' insurance and you don't make enough money to get private insurance, so you have to go through Medicaid, then you have to go tell your doctor that you you have a Crohn's disease patient. So you have to go see a specialist, which under a Medicaid insurance policy can take weeks, if not months, to find. So then they fill out a pre-authorization form in order to get the insurance to cover it, then to get an AbbVie savings card, which has to contact your insurance policy, which is Medicaid. It never happens. It never fucking happens. So, Yeah. I guess I just I had to go on this fucking rant because yeah. people can watch this movie and think, oh, how lovely and amazing this big pharmaceutical company make this miracle drug that can help all these other people. Yeah. And yeah, it's great that we have systems in place that make it profitable to make drugs that yeah. affect limited people. But profit shouldn't have to be part of the consideration. But when the profit you're aiming to make is millions on billions of dollars mm-hmm. off a... Uh, off, off a product that helps one out of every 2,000 Americans. Yeah. Hence being you're charging each American, as I said, over half a million dollars a year so your kids can walk, can, can breathe, can move, is evil. Yes. Is fucking evil. Yeah. So this movie, not as nice <laughs> as it seems. All right. That, that was... Yeah. That was my thing. I had to go on that. No, that was good that you got that out. Yeah. Um, what do I do? Just, <laughs> did I just say the box office? Yeah, sure. Go on the box office rant, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <maybe it's out. laughs> well, something that is that is interesting is I, quickly to talk about the real John Crowley. Um, his, his clout's kind of boosted by this movie. Um, he's a New Jersey and Harrison Ford calls him Jersey a lot in this movie. He is a longtime Republican potential candidate. Yes. He has been considered to run for Senate in 2008. Oh God. 2011, 2013. You good? Yeah. Keep burping. He's considered to run multiple times. He never does. He's never appointed for office. But even to this day, they still talk about it. Wow. Um, like as an active candidate? Yeah, because he's a very successful owner of the Amicus Therapies, therapeutics company. Yeah, it's the foundation I think he made for rare diseases, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah. And the big thing is, like, he joined the Navy, and that's why he couldn't... He was, like, a Navy Reserve member. Yeah. 
but it's it's weird because Harrison Ford is a notoriously a major Democrat, like friends with Bill Clinton. Um, right, and if you look at this movie on the surface, yeah. or the story of this as a surface level, it sounds like a very compassionate father trying to save his kids, which yeah. I'm I'm not saying it isn't. Yeah, I'm not saying the guy's like evil. But right, I'm not saying he wasn't at his core trying to save his kids, but yeah. he is also making a lot, a lot of, money of money off, off of, of his now. drug. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Like, I'm not. I'm also not saying people shouldn't be profitable over these things, yeah. but there's a fucking line. Yeah, there should be. I mean, I'm not gonna get into politics. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, we'll, we'll cool off. Yeah, there's people listening. Be like, no, 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 go to politics. Yeah. Go to politics. Our, our crash episode covered <laughs> yeah. enough of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, this movie comes out January 22nd of 2010. It uh, it's a January release, which usually means like oscar potential for the year before get out of town but they didn't do like the oscar runs in december this gets kind of dumped in january uh it had a 31 million dollar budget it makes 15 million uh less than half of its budget it gets a 29 percent average on rotten tomatoes it gets a good cinema score people like this movie because it's an a minus because it's a feel-good movie yeah so you know families love to see it it is a feel-good movie until you you know um, and so, you know, but the thing is, even if people like it, it doesn't make much money. No. It's only in theaters for four weeks. Um, and it's just kind of a further nail in the... This is like the final nail for Brendan. Um, you think it's the final nail? I think it's the first harbinger of what's to come. Well, it's like, if this had been a success, he could have kind of tried to rebound off of it. It still would have been the beginning of a new era for him. But just like the fact that this is like basically a TV movie put into theaters, yeah, and that it f- still flops, mm-hmm. like he's he's toast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which really leads us into the movies we're going to be covering soon. Um, so, do you have any final thoughts on this movie? I feel like we kind of summed it all up. Oh, you bet your ass! I said everything I thought yeah. about. <laughs> I think we said everything about this movie that there is to say. Yeah. Um, but his, you know. After this, our next episode is going to be on furry vengeance. Um, God help me. <laughs> he's like really in a dire straight after this. It's furry vengeance, whole lot of soul, escape from planet Earth, a case of you, harebrained. It's all these movies that just don't exist. Yeah. Um, we're in like Travolta 2015 territory with some of these. Right. Um, but, you know, we're going to be here for all of them. So make sure to keep on listening uh, to Travolta Presents The Fraser's Edge. We're so happy to have you guys here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Pop to our Reddit, r slash Travolting, TravoltingPodcast at gmail.com, at TravoltingPod on Twitter or Instagram, at Jeff W. Sweeney on Instagram for me. Uh, you can watch my other TED Talks on Big Pharma over at YouTube.com slash Stuart Elmore TED Talks. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that set up before yeah. this episode comes out. Um... Special thanks as always to Rebecca Johnson from the graphic design, Michael Van Bodegum Smith for the theme music. And guys, please, if you're seeing Indiana Jones of the Dial of Destiny right now, don't remember, send us an email. Let us know what you thought. Bye.